This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for July 26, 2019. In this week's episode, Apple updates iOS 9 and 10 for GPS-enabled devices, Mac malware numbers go up, some good news and bad news with Google, and a look at different types of social engineering. Now here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst Josh Long. So we're coming to you recorded in the middle of a heat wave. Well, at least it's a heat wave here in the UK where the day we're recording, it's hit a record temperature. I believe in Paris, it's over 40 degrees centigrade. That's something like 105. And half of the United States has had 100 degree weather. How are you coping, Josh? Um, It's been getting pretty warm here. And unfortunately, I'm in one of the very few little pockets of California that really doesn't necessarily have uh, central air conditioning in every house. And Ah. the place where I live does not have central air. So if it gets above, you know, even the high 80s Fahrenheit, it's it's pretty bad here. If if it were high 80s centigrade, then, you know, you'd really be screwed. You'd be dead. (laughs) Well, I'm in a house that was built in the early 1800s, and I have three mobile air conditioning units, and it's like I have to plan everything out. I have to get um, the physics of airflow down with fans and air conditioners to get half of the house cool enough. Um, In in any case, we have some hot news for you this week. Oh, I got it. Got the good segue. Um, We have some hot news for you, and, and this was such a surprise. Apple released all the updates again this week, iOS, macOS, tvOS. HomePod OS, Watch what am I missing? Watch OS, um, I think that's everything. And they updated iOS 9 and iOS 10. And I, when I saw that, I thought it was a typo. And especially because you're always saying that they only update the last operating system, the current and the previous operating system. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, for macOS, the tradition for Apple is uh, that they release security updates for the current and two previous operating systems. But for iOS, they only have been releasing updates of any kind for the current operating system and nothing for previous versions of iOS. So what they did here was unique because they actually released updates for iOS 9 and iOS 10, not iOS 11, interestingly. And there's a specific reason for that. So the update that they released is specifically for GPS-enabled devices that are not capable of running iOS 12, which is the current version of iOS. So iOS 11 was compatible with all the same devices as iOS 12, which is why they didn't release any new update for iOS 11, because they want you to run iOS 12 if your device is capable of it. But the the uh, iOS 9 and 10 updates are specifically for GPS-enabled devices because there's something that's happening later this year that could basically make your GPS not give the correct location and also can screw up the time on your device. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. It's kind of like the year 2K thing. Um, so the way the GPS system works is that the week number is tracked in a 10-bit field in a GPS time message. 
So that means that every 1,024 weeks, which in GPS lingo was called an epoch, there has to be a rollover. It goes back to zero, and the count begins again. So the first GPS rollover was on the August 26, 1999, 1,024 weeks after the first GPS satellite was launched in 1980. Isn't that interesting? I found that on Google. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, basically, they didn't plan back in 1980 that this thing was going to last more than 1,024 weeks, or they just planned that the rollover wouldn't cause problems. Yeah, it was sort of its own uh, Y2K type issue. Yeah, so so we finally got a, uh, a fix for this. Um, I guess Apple realized that there's still enough people that are on these old devices that, hey, maybe we should release an update. The sad and unfortunate thing about that, though, is that they did not release any security updates for these operating systems. They know people are still using these devices, and they released a patch for something that has nothing to do with protecting them and keeping them safe. Uh, and so it's sort of almost encouraging people to continue using their old iPhone 4, you know, which hasn't been getting updates for years now. Or the first iPad mini or the iPad 2 or, you know, some really old devices that, that are running iOS 9 and iOS 10. You mentioned, though, that iOS 11 is not being updated. Right. And so if there's anyone who has iOS 11 who's still running iOS 11, would they be having an issue? Um, yeah, they would. Um, what, what Apple wants you to do, if you're running iOS 11, you need to update to iOS 12 because you've been missing out on all kinds of... Well, if you want to use GPS. I, I mean, there's really no reason to not upgrade to iOS 12 um, because, you know, the, p- part of the reason for iOS 12 being compatible with all the same devices was because of battery issues, was because of perceived slowness of devices. And Apple just wanted to put all those concerns to, to rest and say, okay, fine, we've fixed it. You know, y- you don't have to suffer with having a device that worked great on iOS 10 and seems to be slower on iOS 11. Fine, we'll, we'll release... Uh, an in, a performance enhancing update in iOS 12 and just make everyone happy. So nobody really should be using iOS 11 for any reason. Your device is probably going to run better if you're running iOS 12 on that device. Good point. One of the things we regularly talk about is new malware that affects the Mac. And there's been a lot of new malware this year, and you've been writing a lot about it. And People keep saying, oh, there's no malware that affects the Mac. But it turns out that um, we have a report here from AV Test, which is an independent IT security institute in Germany, um, pointing out that Mac malware has been just growing exponentially. Last year, there was about three times as many samples as there were in 2017. Now, you have to take these numbers with a grain of salt because exactly what does it mean that there are samples of malware. Yeah, so the the samples that they're talking about are unique hashes. In other words, if there's a slight variation anywhere in the file, then it gets treated like a separate sample. Um, a, a hash, I think we've talked about this before. It's it's kind of like a, a shadow imprint. Uh, you know, it's it's a way to sort of uniquely identify a file to make sure it's not exactly the same as some other file. So if there's any slight variation, even if it's by one byte, then you get a totally different hash. So here's an example. Imagine you have a Word file and it's got 10,000 words in it and you make a copy, you've got the same file, but if you put one word in bold, then they wouldn't be the same file and they wouldn't have the same hash. 
So, um, you know, so some of these are inconsequential differences from one sample to another, but nevertheless, they're, that's what they're calling samples in this case. Okay, so we're seeing a lot more malware. Are we seeing different types of malware? Um, it's pretty similar to the kinds of malware that we had seen before. I, ha- I don't think there's any like brand new category of malware. Um, but you know, these are still threats that are significant enough, you know, that people should be concerned about these things. Um, and and as we talked about recently, even with Crescent Core, you know, this is the type of thing that you don't have to be going to bad sites. Um, I actually, I talked with, um, Chuck Joyner on, uh, Mac voices, uh, this past week, and we, we had a, uh, an hour-long discussion about that. If you if you want to go listen to to that episode of his show, I will certainly put a link in the show notes. Yes, um, and and that was one of the things we discussed is this misperception that people have that if you don't go to any bad sites, then you're not going to get infected. But it's really not necessarily the case. Sometimes just doing a Google search, sometimes even in the top Google search results on the page. And yeah. and not even counting the ads at the top, which you sometimes will see, you can still accidentally stumble upon malware without really intending to. It could be something that looks like a very legitimate search result, and you click yeah. on it, and now your your computer uh, is presented with some fake dialog box telling you that you need to update Flash Player, and some people believe it, and they think they do. Well, that's what interests me in this report. The top 10 Mac malware of 2018, Flashback, is 43% of the malware. Now, we don't, when was the last time I even needed Flash? And we've talked about this many times. You can use Google Chrome to, to display Flash. I'm trying to think of the last time I even needed to use Flash on a website. So if you're listening to this show and you still have Flash Player, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the Adobe website where you can find a Flash Player uninstall or uninstall flash player it'll be the best thing you do for your mac and and the other point there is make sure to let your less tech savvy friends and relatives know that if you see anything telling you to update flash just ignore it uh, yeah <laughs> the, the only time that flash is dead yeah the only time the flash ever needs to be updated is going to happen in the background so just tell people if you see something trying to tell you to update flash completely ignore it don't believe it Okay, we've talked in the past about smart home devices and how they listen to you and how your Amazon Echo device is recording everything you do, even though you use no JavaScript in your web browsers and all that. Well, it turns out that uh, Google is recording some, all, much of what you're doing, and they're letting people listen to things that come through your Google Home device. And the, the thing I just have to say is, why is anyone surprised? I have two HomePods in my bedroom. Siri is turned off. Siri's off on my phone and my watch. I can press a button to activate Siri. But why is anyone surprised that this is happening? Yeah, it's it, it sort of comes with the the whole territory of a device that can listen and interact with you, right? You need to, as an engineer, understand how people are using it and what's successful and what's not. And it's just sort of built into their terms of service that, you know, obviously they're going to be listening to things that you're saying. <laughs> they, they have to in order to activate even. To, it has to, to constantly be listening in order to recognize your activation word. So it's, it's the recording that people get concerned about. And, and 
keeping these recordings for a long time, potentially indefinitely, that's what gets people really upset. And the fact that employees of these companies, Amazon and also apparently Google, you know, can access uh, some of these recordings. It's it's something that I, I think it's good to be aware of, but I, I don't think that people need to be necessarily too concerned about this. If it does concern you that some random Amazon or Google employee who works with these types of data can hear things that you've said, then uh, maybe you shouldn't be using that device or maybe you should mute it at least when you're not using it. I'm trying to remember which TV series had an episode where uh, one of the, it was, it was the, um, the good wife. There was an episode where someone came into a lawyer's office and threatened the lawyer and she had the good wife's version of an Amazon echo. Good wife is really well, Good Wife was because it's not any, on anymore, but they used to have cutting-edge technology. Um, and so the person pointed to it and because the thing had been recording the whole time. So I guess if you're like a criminal or you're going to threaten people, you want to be a little bit more careful about it. It just, it just creeps me out, though, the idea that having a device like this is going to be recording you. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it, and that's why I always leave my Echo devices' microphones muted when I'm not actively using them. Okay, so there's some good news from Google, and I think it was back in episode 88. We pointed out that Google was adding a way to prevent sites from knowing when you were browsing in incognito mode. And it turned out that there was a loophole that allowed sites to see that you were in incognito mode. A really strange little thing that a website would ask for access to certain features and they'd get an error message. And Google's fixing that in the next version of Chrome out next week. Yep. So we actually do have some positive news coming out of Google. Yes. That's good. (laughs) Well, we have to have balance here, don't we? This isn't a big deal. What we wanted to point it out because we did talk about it in a previous episode. So if you are worried about uh, a website knowing you're in incognito mode and you're using Google Chrome, you will be happy to know that you can still be incognito. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got a really interesting topic. We're going to talk about social engineering and how people can take advantage of you without even using technology. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's podcast 19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. 
A couple weeks ago, I was talking to my partner, and we were talking about computer security and iPhone security, and she doesn't use a Mac. She uses an iPhone and an iPad. And we were talking about something, and I said the term social engineering, and she said, oh, what's that? I never heard that before. And I said, well, you know, someone calls you up, pretends to be someone or phishing, and I talked with Josh, and we figured this would be a good topic for the podcast. It's not malware. It's, it's the wetware in your head that gets hacked when people know certain ways. It's, it's con artists. They're just doing modern cons. And there's all types of social engineering, and a, a lot of this comes over the Internet, but it's not entirely just the Internet. So where do we start, Josh? Okay. Well, I think the type of social engineering that most people are familiar with is phishing. So we can get that one out of the way first. Uh, phishing, of course, usually when people use that term, they're talking about fraudulent email. Uh, it might be a link that pre pretends to be a bank or maybe Apple. And you click on that link and it doesn't really go to the bank site or Apple site. It takes you to a lookalike page that usually will ask you to put in some sensitive information. It'll ask you to log in, which, you know, in, in reality, you're not actually logging into the real site. You're just giving a bad guy your username and password for the real site. Um, so that's phishing in a nutshell. That's the kind of thing that most people are familiar with. And we'll have a link in the show notes to an article I wrote on the Intego Max Security blog uh, showing how you can see what the actual URL is behind a link on the Mac and on iOS. So when you get an email like this, you should be suspicious automatically. You should know, for instance, if your bank sends you an email, they're very unlikely to say, we want you to log in here. If the IRS or here the HMRC sends you an email, you're never going to be told to log in through this link. So you can just basically hover your cursor over a link to see where it's going on the Mac. A little bit harder on, on iOS, you have to tap and hold. But you can always see that it's not going to the right domain. However, what you might see is something like signin-apple.com, whereas Apple might have signin.apple.com. Uh, and that still you still need to think carefully about that. Right. Yeah. So it's the, the key thing there is if you're hovering over links and looking for where it goes, make sure that it's dot the actual domain that you expect it to go to and not a hyphen, not something else. Um, right. Now, there, there are some ways that you can sort of still trick people into clicking on links and make it look like it's, uh, you know, going somewhere that it's not really. So, but, but in general, I would say that that's accurate, that, that hovering over a link is, is usually a safe way to, to know where a link is really going to go, especially when you're talking about it in an email. And also, if you get an email from a company or an agency that you're not used to getting email from, even if you, even if you have a bank account, but you know your bank doesn't send you emails saying you need to log into your account, be suspicious. Basically, be suspicious of all emails, even the ones that Josh sends. <laughs> right. Uh, there's smishing. I don't know if you've heard of that smishing. term. Uh, smishing. Never heard the term, but I've gotten lots of those. Yeah. Okay. Smishing is SMS or text message phishing. Uh, basically yeah. the same thing. You get a link. It looks like it might be from somebody legitimate. They might claim to be Apple, uh, but it's not you know, really the company and they're just trying to get you to give over your credentials again. So vishing is interesting. Um, voice phishing. I don't, there must be another term for that because this is as old as the telephone is. 
So imagine this. Someone uh, calls up, hi, is that Brenda? Brenda, your mic secretary, right? Yeah, this is, this is Charlie. I'm supposed to meet Mike for lunch, but I can't remember which restaurant he was supposed to go to. And if you just play the game correctly and give enough information about a person, you can just keep going. And so was he having that meeting with Tom at 3.30? And was that over at the 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 such and such office in where and you can get a lot of information so it's the people on the other end the people who are getting called that need to be very careful so if someone calls you and claims to be your bank immediately hang up and call your bank and see if it's really them the irs is never going to call you the fbi and the cia will not call you if the fbi or cia want to get in touch with you they'll break your door down yeah well that's a fair point One of the things that you should think about as well, a lot of people don't know this, but caller ID can actually be spoofed. It's possible for someone who's on the calling end to make their phone number look like anything. And so that actually makes it really easy for scammers. They might even use a real phone number that you might recognize. You might even have it programmed into your phone. Uh, so in which case you'll see the name of the caller in your phone. Exactly. So you need to be very, very careful when somebody is calling you, you know, don't necessarily trust that it is who it seems to be. Um, unfortunately you can literally never really know for sure who's calling because of this. Uh, So, I mean, there are some things that you can kind of do if you frequently get calls from a particular person at a particular company. Um, you should probably be able to recognize their voice and tell that it's the same person or not. Uh, there's yeah. certain things like that that you can can use. But, um, you know, if somebody calls you and says, oh, I'm calling from, you know, Apple tech support and you, we have a, a, a log that shows you've got some malware on your computer and we want to help you fix it. Well, that's a scam. Don't believe them. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the Windows tech support scam was very popular a while ago. I used to get those calls once a month, and I haven't gotten them in a while. It could be that my phone company is filtering them out somehow. Uh, I'd, I'd like to point out about the banks calling. I changed banks early this year because my bank, uh, their um, fraud protection unit, wherever it was, credit card fraud. So there was an issue. They, they weren't sure about a charge on my credit card. And their fraud protection unit is in India, so I got a phone call from someone with a very thick accent who really couldn't pronounce my name. The line was very bad, and I was like, well, if you're really from my bank, how do I know? He's asking me security questions to identify myself. How do I know that you're you? So I hung up and called the bank. It took a half hour to find that, yes, it was the fraud protection unit, but I tried to explain to the person that this is insecure, and they just brushed me off. So I said, goodbye, I'm leaving, going to another bank. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is something that's surprisingly common, even with banks and other institutions where you would expect them to have good security and to really understand how these things work. Unfortunately, it's not really the case all that often. So just, you know, be be aware of this. So Scareware, um, I'm looking at the show notes that you prepped here. Scareware, I haven't seen much Scareware lately. Explain what Scareware is. Well, this is the kind of thing that is a fake alert. It might show up on a website. It might, in some cases, show up in uh, software. Um, More often, when it comes to software, scareware is something like a fake antivirus that, uh, you know, might get onto your computer and will convince you that you need to, you know, give your credit card information over to this company so that they can clean your computer. 
And, you know, Scareware um, leverages this idea of, you know, hacking the human brain. You know, they, they, they play on fear, which is something that is a really powerful motivator in the human brain. And so if you scare someone enough, uh, sometimes they just don't think clearly. And so they'll do things that they might not otherwise do. And Scareware exploits that. Um, it, it, and particularly if these are not very tech-savvy people, uh, elderly people are very prone to being taken in by this because they kind of trust what they're seeing. My, my memory of this sort of thing was a few years ago when on my Mac I'd go to a website and I'd get this little pop-up that looked like a Windows XP dialog saying that I had malware on my Windows PC. Yes, yeah. That's definitely something that I've seen before on Macs as well, where sometimes uh, it looks just like a Windows operating system dialog box. And and there's a, often on these pages that have fake virus alerts, there will be things like um, what looks like a dialog box from Windows. And if you click on the X to close the Windows dialog box, yep. you're actually yep. going to end up downloading the malware and so uh, some now it's you know it's easy for someone to say okay but if i see something like that on my mac i'm smart enough to know that this is not really uh, something that's a mac dialog box right well it's definitely possible and it has happened in the past where someone has designed a website to recognize that you're using a mac and just show you mac dialog boxes instead so it's it's not out of the realm of possibility and people shouldn't assume that this is never going to happen to them because if someone is determined enough to infect Max, then they're going to try a little harder to get the Max too. Social engineering techniques, sometimes in combination with OSINT. I like when you use those abbreviations. They sound really military, OSINT. Open source intelligence, I looked it up. This is kind of interesting because there is a lot of information that you've given out in different places that people can collect. That's why it's called open source intelligence. For example, someone on a Facebook page says, hey, what was the first concert you ever went to? Well, that happens to be one of Apple's security questions. What's the first concert you ever went to? You know, you get a list of, what, a dozen security questions. You choose the ones you want. What was the name of your first pet? Who was your favorite teacher? If you ever see anyone on Facebook or Twitter ask questions like that, be suspicious. Um, but then there's a way of getting around them. It's what I call the Ed Norton technique. You know who Ed Norton was, right? Not the actor, the one, the Honeymooners? You're too young oh, for the Oh, yeah, yeah, the honeymooners. the honeymooners. Yeah, yeah. I forgot his name was Ed Norton, too. You said Ed Norton, and I was thinking of the actor, yeah. So Ralph Pramden is on the $64,000 question, and his topic was popular songs. And for a week, he'd been rehearsing with Ed Norton, um, listening to these songs and naming them really quickly. And every time Norton would... Uh, prepare to play a song, he would play da, 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 and then he would break into the song. And so the first question that Ralph Cramden gets is, who wrote Swanee River, which is the song that Norton was playing, and Ralph just couldn't figure it out. He's like, humming, 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 Ed Norton? <laughs> so to me, the idea of that false answer, I've always called this the Ed Norton technique. Maybe it makes no sense, but you can give fake answers to the questions. If someone asks, what was the first concert you ever went to, you could say... Um, throat warbler mangrove, for example. 
as long as you're able to remember the answers, like putting them in a password manager, you can answer, you can answer any of the questions. You can answer with a 16-digit random password as long as you can recover that information. Now, the problem is that so many banks and companies, they ask for your mother's maiden name. I'm sure that my mother's maiden name could be found on the Internet. I'm sure your mother's maiden name, I'm sure anyone's. And the questions they ask are too easy. So ideally, you want to give fake answers to the questions or choose write your own security questions, which have real answers. Sometimes you can do that too. We'll have a link in the show notes to an article uh, that was written by a journalist named Matt Honan. And he talked about, this was, a, I think, in what, two, uh, 2012? Was it that long ago? Yeah, it was. August 2012. So almost seven years ago. But this is still really relevant because the same sorts of things can happen today. And Matt Honan wrote about how uh, he calls it his epic hacking, how Apple and Amazon security flaws led to my epic hacking. And uh, in this case, this was um, somebody who was trying to get into his accounts just to kind of mess with them. It wasn't somebody who was actually trying to you know, steal his money or things like that. But uh, he ended up interviewing this hacker, and there's a lot of really great stuff in that story. So I definitely recommend uh, reading up on that. It it talks a lot about social engineering techniques that this hacker used to basically trick Amazon people into giving over information about Matt Honan by basically just pretending to be Matt Honan. Okay, so there's one last category that you've got in your notes. Physical on-site deception techniques. And that's interesting. Anyone can pretend to be someone else if they have a uniform, right? Yeah, absolutely. People see someone in uniform, whether it's, uh, you know, a police officer uniform, security guard. Sometimes it could even be something like a janitor uniform. If you've got a standard janitorial uniform that everyone uses when they come and clean the building in your company. And, you know, you don't necessarily know all the cleaning people. And maybe they have a sub today because your guy, normal guy is out sick. Uh, you know, you may not really think twice about it. You may even ask them and they say, oh, yeah, I'm subbing for so-and-so today. And, of course, you don't really necessarily know everyone's name. And so you go, oh, okay. And you just kind of let them do their thing. And a lot of times this is how if somebody wants to break into a company, sometimes they can get past security checkpoints by doing things like this. Uh, Another very common on-site physical deception technique is someone will exploit your friendliness. So let's say that you have a building that you, it requires a key or a security badge or something like that in order to get into the building. What a lot of times people will do is they'll hang out by the, the door and they'll say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I'm, I'm late for a meeting and I forgot my badge or I left it inside. Would you mind letting me in? And a lot of times people will just kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that before. No problem. You know, I understand what it's like. And the thing is, people are afraid of looking like a jerk and saying no. So even if you've been told by your company, don't ever let anybody into the building, then people still have this tendency to err on the side of I I'm a friendly person. I'm kind. I'm not going to be rude. You want to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it looks like Tom Cruise, you want to be helpful. <laughs> exactly. And of course, Tom Cruise would probably be wearing a mask that makes him look like somebody else. But Good point. 
Good point. Um, about the uniform thing, I'm reminded of an article I saw maybe in the British press a year or two ago. So someone did an experiment. He got a high-vis vest, one of those bright yellow vests, a hard hat, and a clipboard. And he was able to get into any outdoor concert anywhere he went because it just looked like he was someone who was working on things. Um, maybe you put some old work boots on and a scruffy T-shirt. You just walk by. He would just walk by. The police, the security guards would look at him and they wouldn't even pay attention to him. Yeah, yeah. So th these are just a couple of examples, but there's lots of on-site deception techniques too. And going along with that, remember that open source intelligence bit that we mentioned before, you can use that in combination with your dressing in a uniform or your other tricks. And, uh, and that can often take you a lot farther because now let's say – uh, that you talk to the secretary when you're when you're entering a building if you're somebody who performs these kind of attacks. And by the way, this is something that there's a whole business dedicated to uh, helping companies to overcome attacks like this. This is called penetration testing, and this is one of many different varieties of penetration testing. But often, you can hire somebody who will actually try to deceive employees at your company and get as much information as they can about your company and see all the different ways that you can be hacked or social engineered. And so if, if this sounds like something you would love to do for a living, rather than being a bad guy, <laughs> you could become a penetration tester. And, the, uh, you know, people who do this for, for a living have a lot of fun. Well, I don't know how much fun, but I guess if you're doing it with the goal of showing a company that you've gotten past something and you're not harming anyone, then yes, I guess it can be, it can be kind of surprising. You know what it reminds me of, um, and our editor who's listening in, he'll appreciate this. Uh, when I was a teenager, I did magic. And you learn about how people's expectations mean that when you do a certain thing, they expect a certain thing to happen. And that's how you trick them with magic tricks. And so this is the same kind of thing. I did mentalism when I was young, which is, you know, supposed mind reading. And it's kind of easy just to learn the questions to ask to get people to tell you the things. And, or when you see like a fortune teller on a movie saying these vague things and you're going to meet a tall, dark man. Oh, yes, yes. Is that John? And, you know, people want to fill in the story and help you out. So don't get hacked is basically <laughs> what we're trying to tell you here. Pay attention to phishing, phishing, scareware, social engineering, all of this. Know that it's a problem particularly over the internet and on the telephone. Don't get hacked. Yeah, be, be very careful who you trust. That, that's a big part of this is, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go so far as to literally say trust no one because I'm sure you can trust your significant other unless they turn out to be, a, you know, a spy or something like that, you know. They could, you never know. There was that movie <laughs> with Tom Cruise, wasn't there? Where the, no, it was, um, who was the one with Angelina Jolie and her husband and they were both spies oh, yeah. on Oh, yeah, Brad Pitt, yeah. Bad pit. That's right. And they turned out to be anyway. That's just a movie. <laughs> right. Not very likely that something like that is really going to happen to you. So trust the right people and, you know, be careful about people that you don't know or people who cold call you. Those are some, I, I would say, important tips when it comes to avoiding social engineering attacks. Okay, Josh, thanks for all this. And until next week, stay secure and don't get hacked. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, 
be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>